Glad that you're joining us today. It's a slightly smaller crowd, but just as lively, so I'm thankful for that. And I just encourage you, even afterwards, uh, let's continue in our fellowship and our relationships with one another. You can go ahead and turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 13, Luke chapter 13. And uh, hopefully you have your own copy of God's Word, uh, digitally or a physical copy. And I just encourage you to keep it open throughout the sermon as we go over uh, carefully these texts and the Word of God that's before us today. Uh, just for reference, I'll be referring to the English Standard Version, uh, the ESV. And uh, we are going through this sermon series, continuing on. It's been many weeks and months, but faithfully going passage by passage through the Gospel of Luke in order to rediscover Jesus. And for some of us, perhaps, discover Jesus for the first time. Um, But together, we want to look into carefully who Jesus is, and we may find ourselves learning much more deeper truths about who he is, what he has done, and what it has to do with our lives today. Last week, we saw how Jesus is the true king in the kingdom of God. He's a true king because he is so powerful. He's able to heal and cast out uh, demons, and he has power and authority over the entire universe. Yet, at the same time, he is compassionate in using his power to, uh, to heal and meet the needs of weak and broken people like us. And, as he be, and, and we saw that how Jesus, he became weak and broken in our place. And through his work of salvation, his kingdom is growing from those humble starting points from the cross. And it will be, result in, full, in fullness of its glory when Jesus returns. So we saw that last week. And now we'll continue uh, in, in Luke chapter 13, verses 22 to 30, a very relevant and related topic of salvation and how people enter into the kingdom of God. So follow along with me as I read from Luke chapter 13, verses 22 to 30. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. It's the word of God. Amen. So as we continue in the hard sayings and difficult teachings of Jesus, we're looking at today a big question, a big question about salvation. And as we try to understand how salvation works, we are quick to say, and rightfully, we cannot earn our salvation. That is absolutely correct. We cannot work for our salvation. We only receive salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. That is the consistent teaching and truth we see in Scripture. 
And so salvation from God's angle, from this angle, is that it is completely God's work in our lives, doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. But in the mystery of salvation, there is another angle of salvation that we cannot overlook, and that is our work in our salvation. Our work in our salvation. And from this angle, we are called to make great efforts in making sure we live out our salvation, in making sure we work out our salvation, in making sure that we are truly saved in the salvation we have received. This complex, mysterious, but beautiful truth of God is, I I see it simply in one line of a famous hymn called The Rock of Ages, where it says, Nothing in my hands I bring, Simply to thy cross I cling. Nothing in my hands I bring is all about God's work of salvation. Jesus has done what we could not do, and he has lived the perfect life we should have lived, and then he died the death that we should have died on the cross. He has done it all for us. We could not earn salvation. Nothing in my hands I bring. But the second half of this stanza points to the work in our salvation. Simply to thy cross I cling. There's this ongoing, faith-driven, faith-filled work of clinging to the cross of Jesus Christ, making sure in in our strength and effort we cling to Jesus with our empty hands that we, as we come to him, we cling to Jesus. Because those who receive the grace of God make every effort to make sure they cling to Jesus and to be saved. This is important for us to understand, these angles of salvation. Because yes, it is God's work that he does. He saved us from the penalty of sin at the cross, meaning that we don't have to worry or fear the judgment and punishment of sin anymore. It has been accomplished uh, by the work of Jesus Christ when he died for us in our place. God's work of salvation is also a future work to bring us into eternal glory. In heaven, where he will remove us from the presence of sin once and for all, there there will be no more sin, no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering. And that, again, is God's work. Now, God is at work in us now, his continuing work as he is saving us from the power of sin. He is renewing our minds. He is transforming our hearts so that our thoughts and our desires, our passions and behaviors grow to be more and more like our Lord Jesus Christ. And he is working so that that the power of sin has less and less of a hold on us. In this area of salvation, we have a responsibility to live out our salvation, to, to make the efforts, clinging to Christ, doing what we are called to do, to live out our salvation by faith in him. And so we're just, I'm just briefly touching upon it now, and we'll look at it more closely. But Jesus will help us to understand this mystery, this complexity of salvation, how it is God's work for us, and how it is our work in salvation as well. And he will use the symbol of a narrow door. He, how Jesus is the door to salvation. How Jesus is the one who is able to open the door. How he is the one who helps us through the door, who encourages us to enter the door. But we'll see that it is our work to enter. 
laying aside anything and everything that will hinder us from striving to enter, that we may come with empty hands, but all the more strive to cling to Christ. So the one thing for us today is this. Strive for the narrow door of salvation by faith in Jesus without delay and without assumption. Strive for the narrow door of salvation by faith in Jesus without delay and without assumption. We'll look at three lessons about our salvation. This first will be Jesus' main instruction, and then he provides two directly related warnings. So the lesson is this, that we must strive in our salvation. And then two, we must not delay in the offer of salvation. And three, we must not assume our salvation. Could you bow your heads with me one more time as I pray for the preaching of God's word? Heavenly Father, as we approach your words of life, your truth. There are many things in it that are, that are so clear how you have done the work to save us, how you have done what we could not. And, and at times, there are some things that are difficult to understand. Lord, especially when they're difficult, may we not overlook, may we not ignore, may we not just pass over these to live by your grace. So help us, Holy Spirit. We are in desperate need of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, first, we must strive in our salvation. So note carefully, again, that this point here, it says we must strive in our salvation. And I'm going to repeat this over and over again, maybe. It is not striving for our salvation. You know, even my computer kept trying to autocorrect this statement for me. It, every time I wrote in our sal- work in our salvation, it tried to correct me for our salvation over and over again. And my computer stubbornly be- believes in works-based salvation, and it will be never be saved, no matter how much I try to correct it and fix it. It is striving in our salvation. Now, it, we must understand this correctly, because the... Uh, because this is what Jesus is going to be doing. His purpose, his mission, was to teach so that we may understand how we will be saved. So in verse 22, it says, He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And so this purpose of Jesus, his mission is to show the sinners the way of salvation. So he's preaching the kingdom of God. He's healing those who are afflicted so that he could display his power and authority as the true king. And this mission on earth, Jesus has a destination. And that destination is Jerusalem. It will be where he will give up his life to make that way of salvation possible for sinners like you and me. And verse 22 reminds us here simply that Jesus is so willing and steadfast and faithful in heading toward Jerusalem, knowing all that will happen to him there. And as he's teaching, on his journey to Jerusalem, there's a question for Jesus. Verse 23 says this, And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are few be saved? Will those who are few be saved? This person wants to know if God will save only a few people or will he save a lot of people? This person wants to know if there will be only a few souls in hell or a lot of souls in hell. And we may have personally thought through a variation of this question when we look to especially the loved ones in our lives who have yet to be saved. God, are you going to save them? Are they going to be included in that number? 
And so thinking about who will be saved, how many will be, these questions is often pressed upon our minds and on our hearts. But often we approach these questions and these thoughts with our own assumptions, thinking that some people, uh, for here, in this case, he's thinking that a few people will be saved. That's how we ask the question, Lord, will those be saved? Will they be few? And with this assumption, it's a simple yes or no question. But the problem is here that the question is too simple. As limited people with limited minds, we try to simplify these great, vast spiritual mysteries in order to understand. And that's sometimes okay. But we need to make sure that we are not coming to the wrong conclusions about God from our attempts to simplify. Even if Jesus answered our tough questions in the way that we asked them, we would still protest and argue against his answer. I've always wondered why God created mosquitoes. Have you ever thought about that? It's one of the many questions I have on my list. God, why did you create mosquitoes? He hasn't answered this one for me. But if God answered me saying, I created mosquitoes to suck your blood, I wouldn't be able to accept it, would you? I would protest. I would argue. But God, mosquitoes only cause us problems. They spread disease and it makes us itchy and we scratch them until we lose more blood and we get infections. There's no good in mosquitoes. Why did you create mosquitoes? Because our limitations in our minds, our inability to understand fully, we won't be able to respond rightly to God, even if he answers our questions directly. So the question in verse 23, will only a few people be saved? If Jesus answered yes, only a few people will be saved. If he answered that way, wouldn't it still be hard for us to accept? We would quickly argue that, It's not right for a loving God would save only a few people because the God that we have simplified in our minds, he should save a lot of people. If he's truly loving, he should save a lot. Maybe even save all if he is truly loving. On the other hand, if Jesus answered this question, no, many will be saved. It It will still be easy for us to come to our own conclusions. It will be easy for us to take God's grace for granted and we might fall into this sense, a false sense of security because we have simplified God's mercy as something that is just guaranteed. No conditions, just, just live how your life, live however you want. God is loving, he'll probably save you. And we could easily think if many will be saved, perhaps I must be safe then because I am not the worst of the worst of the people around me. If a murderer or if a sex offender, if a drug dealer can be saved by God, then I should probably be okay. That's a false sense of security because that is not how people are saved, by comparing ourselves to other people. In God's eyes, we all have fallen short of his glory. So Jesus, in his wisdom, chooses not to answer this question directly. Jesus just needed to say yes or no. But instead, Jesus responded with an instruction and and it covers over the next seven verses in our passage today. And he starts by his explanation, his his response, his instruction by saying in verse 24, strive to enter through the narrow door. Let's take a look at the word striving. The word for striving is not just about trying. It's actually a word that describes doing something with great intensity and effort. It is where we get the English word for agonizing. 
And it's usually used in military or athletic or military context. So it's like striving is like a runner in a marathon. On the last stretch, pushing and forcing his very last and heavy steps toward the finish line. Striving is like a wrestler using his or her every last drop of strength, straining to hold their position against the opponent. Striving here is like a soldier who is so weary in battle, who stands up again to fight the enemy toward victory. That's the kind of striving Jesus is, is, is talking about. It's an agonizing. Now let's take a look at this door. First, it's the narrow door. And Jesus is talking about the way to salvation, meaning there is only one way to be saved. There's not many doors that we can choose from. There is one narrow door, the narrow door, and it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that we could be saved. Christ is the only way, the truth, and the life. To be saved, we must believe and continue to believe that Jesus is the only door to salvation. There's no other door to be saved. It's also the narrow door. It means, this means it's not as simple as walking through a normal door like you did today, where it opens wide to you and it's just effortless for you to walk in, perhaps even automatic doors uh, like downstairs. It's a restricted space. It's a tight space to go through. And it requires us to let aside our baggages and burdens. We cannot carry anything in. Empty hands we bring. It's also the narrow door, meaning it can be open or closed. And for now, the only door to salvation is open by Jesus. Jesus says, as he teaches his disciples in John chapter 10, he says clearly, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in. The way to salvation is made available by Jesus. And we cannot open the door for ourselves because we cannot strive for our salvation. And because he holds the door open now, Jesus calls out saying, strive, agonize, make every effort to enter in because it is narrow. Surrender, give up. Anything else you think you can, uh, you can uh, use to, uh, to argue for your righteousness, lay that aside. Come with empty hands and strive in the way of salvation. And then he says a difficult truth right afterwards. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. So after our careful study, after the important truths of salvation, how it is God's work for us and how it is our work in salvation, we should not jump to the conclusion, now Jesus is saying something else. Jesus is not saying here some people are able to enter and some people are not. It's not about being good enough. It's not about working hard enough to get in. Salvation is not like a test at school where you need a certain score of good works to get in. Salvation is not like a, a ride at an amusement park where you need to be this tall in good works in order to get in. Instead, he is saying that many will initially try but they will be unable to strive. They will give up. 
Jesus is not calling us to strive to earn salvation. Jesus is calling us to not give up. Do not give up striving. The door is open. We know the way. Jesus is holding it open for us. He's encouraging us to enter in. So do not give up. Agonize. Strive. Make every effort of your energy, of your time to deny yourself, carry your cross, and live for God's glory alone. Do not give up repenting of your sins. Do not give up believing in him. Strive to enter the narrow door. With that, I just want to give an encouragement for some of us who might be fearing that still there is that aspect of, ah, I still don't feel good enough, still burdened by our guilt and condemnation of sin, even though we have chosen to enter the narrow door. Because following Jesus is a difficult task, we might sometimes get confused and and we fear that we might lose our salvation if we don't do all these things that we're supposed to be doing. But let me be clear of this as well. This is not what Scripture teaches because if God chooses to point someone to the door and as He calls them to the door of salvation and if that person receives with empty hands, by faith in Jesus Christ alone, God will not suddenly change his mind. God will not suddenly take away some, take back something that he has given. Because whoever is truly saved is being saved and will be saved. You cannot lose your salvation. Because there, are, there will be seasons in our lives where we feel like we're on the mountaintops. We're enjoying God's grace. We're striving hard and, and we feel the presence of God even, even through the challenges that are before us. But there are some seasons where we are in the deep valleys, where we doubt, where we wonder, are these, is God, God, are you really loving? Are you really there for me? But even in those moments when our hearts may be, feel hardened and cold and dry and distant from God, we can trust that those whom God calls will truly be saved by His grace and those who are called will all the more will strive no matter what. Even if we feel guilty, we'll come back striving toward the cross saying, I lay down my guilt and I trust again, Jesus, your righteousness covers over me. So all the more, may this be an encouragement that even if we are wondering if we are saved, as we are trying to strive all the more for that, open, that narrow door, that open and narrow door, may be, may be encouragement for us, comfort for us, that the Holy Spirit has still kept our hearts softened to his truth, that we would repent and turn away from our sin and turn to our God again. So make every effort, striving, making sure that you are saved, repenting of your sins and believing in Jesus. We must strive in our salvation. Second lesson, we must not delay in the offer of salvation. Striving in our salvation is a necessary part in our journey of faith. And that's such a great allegory of our, yeah, of our life with Christ. It is a journey. And Jesus warns us, that, warns us that what hinders this proper striving in salvation is thinking that we have all the time in the world to get started. But in fact, our time is limited. 
Our lives are short. The thought that we have unlimited time is a great deception, but it's still effective oftentimes. The Bible teaches us wisdom that we should learn to number our days, to accept that our life is just like a mist here and for a moment and soon gone, just a mere breath like a shadow that turns. The time that we have been given by God, we must use it for his purposes, for the work of striving in our salvation, to make a decision as well as uh, at the beginning of our journey with Christ, but also everyday decision to choose to be with Christ. We are called to make the best use of our time because the days we live in are limited, short, and the days we live in are evil. I want to share a story that you probably heard, but it helps us to understand this urgency from another point of view. It's a fictional story that's written about how Satan has three of his apprentices. He has a discussion with three apprentices. Again, a fictional story to illustrate a truth. And so Satan and his three apprentices are planning their strategy to fight against Jesus' message of salvation, against the gospel. And they're strategizing how to ruin people and keep them from salvation. So the first apprentice, devil, said to Satan, I have a plan. I'll tell people there's no heaven. And Satan responded, ah, they'll never believe that. They know in their heart there is a heaven. They long for a better place than this world that they live in. They all want to go to heaven. That won't work. So the second devil says, I'll tell them then there's no hell. And Satan responded, that won't work either. They know in their hearts that bad deserves to be punished. Their society operates that way. And they know in their hearts there is a hell. So finally, the third devil said, Well, I'll tell them there's no hurry. And Satan said, Go, you will ruin them by the millions. Jesus is warning us of the deception of no hurry. And in this deception, we put aside Jesus Christ and we run in a hurry to all these other things that we have on our list, on our to-do list. And that's what Jesus says in his warning in verse 25. Chilling words. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. There is a time limit when that open door of salvation will be closed by the master of the house. That master is Jesus Christ. And the day when that door will close is the day he returns again for judgment to judge every single person for what they have done in the time that God has given to them on this earth. And when that day comes, Jesus says, it will be too late to start knocking on the door. When that day comes, it will be too late to start striving to enter that door. When you first heard the gospel, this good news of the kingdom of God, when you first learned about who Jesus is and what he offers to you, that is when you should have made every effort to learn more and to ask good questions and to study deeply and to obey honestly and to believe with your whole heart in Jesus Christ. That's when you should start. But if you delay and Jesus returns again, 
And then you start knocking and asking Jesus, Lord, open the door. Please open the door for us. It will be too late. The whole time, these people, they didn't, it was open for them, but they didn't see it worth their, time, worth their time. They believed in the deception of no hurry. They put it on hold. And, and instead, they, instead of striving to enter the narrow door, they began striving for other personal goals and worldly ambitions, not thinking much of their future destination beyond this lifetime, not thinking about how there is an eternity after death, It'll either be an eternity in heaven or an eternity in hell. They were caught up with the busyness and being hurried to the tasks on their list, putting aside Jesus Christ, always pushing him down that agenda, always pushing him to the last thing. At the end of the day, I'll spend time with the Lord, and that day never comes. That time never comes. This is a serious situation that I hope for none of us here. I pray none of us here will find themselves delaying the decision to accept salvation Jesus is offering today because when it is too late, there can be no good enough reason to enter in. That's what Jesus says in verse 26 to 27. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say to you, I tell you, and he repeats, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Delaying in the decision, but also delaying in a deeper relationship with Jesus. These people were okay with a surface level relationship and not getting deeper in their relationship. We know that if we want any relationship to grow, we need to make the effort striving to spend time with them and quality uh, experiences with them. This has been on my mind just because I came back from a wedding yesterday. And during times of wedding, there is this fluster of, of like love and, and, and a desire for uh, love between love from another person. But ladies, don't ever trust a man who says he loves you he says that he knows you, but who says doesn't have time for you. If he doesn't make efforts to know you more, if he doesn't make the efforts to love you more, his intentions should be seriously questioned. We understand this in any of our human relationships. But sometimes, and oftentimes, in our relationship with Jesus, we sometimes claim for more of his mercy in correct ways. Just asking him, can you just give us more time? Jesus, you understand, right? I had such a busy day today. I had a full day of meetings. I could not spare those five minutes in prayer. I could not spend those 10 minutes just reading one passage, maybe even the verse of the day on my app. You understand, right, Jesus? I just didn't have the time. Let us not be like these delayers how they are delaying their, time, their decision and delaying their relationship with Jesus. And we see how their argument is such, is such a weak argument. Let us into heaven because didn't we eat with you? Didn't we drink with you? Didn't I listen to you on the streets? What kind of argument is that? When Jesus asks us, and we, when we stand before him on judgment day, and he asks us, why should I let you into my heaven? 
There is no other reason. There's no other answer other than because Jesus, I believe with great striving and great agony that Jesus died for me in my place for my forgiveness. That's the only way to enter into heaven. And so this warning should be applied for us as Christians today who attend church gatherings and do a lot of church things. We have to remember we cannot claim to have a deep relationship with Jesus just by saying, we spent, time, we spent, we spent some time with you before, long time ago. In this season of life, I'm a little bit busier, Lord. We cannot come to argue that way. It's not enough. Just because we attended meetings and we heard his teachings, that's not enough. We must strive to believe that he is our Lord and Savior. And so as we take this warning to heart, remember Jesus' words, that knowing Jesus from a distance is not enough. We need to know him personally and deeply to the point where we can say, Jesus knows me. He knows me because I trust him. He knows me because I love him. He knows me because he has called to me and I responded by faith. He knows me because he said to strive and here I am doing everything that I can to obey. To get into the master's house, the master must know you in a personal relationship of faith. Otherwise, we remain as evildoers before him. That's why Jesus calls them evildoers. Not because spending, spending, uh, eating with Jesus and, and, and drink, having a meal with Jesus or fellowship with the believers or, or hearing Jesus' words. It's not, those things are not evil. But he calls them evildoers because they do not, they still stand before God, guilty in their sin. They look like on the surface that they have, are, are entering the door, entering the narrow door. But without faith, they still remain guilty in their sin before God as evildoers on Judgment Day. Only by faith do we put on Jesus' righteousness like a fresh, clean robe as Jesus takes upon himself our sin and shame of guilt. And so we see as we look to the cross again, how Jesus is committed to us even when we might feel tempted to delay or hurry off into other things in our lives. We see his commitment as he strived through all the towns and cities, teaching the way of salvation and then striving toward the cross, striving in false accusations at his trial, striving in torture and, and suffering and humi suffering humiliation before people, striving on the cross for our sake, we see he's, he was striving. He was enduring the shame of the cross for us so that we may enter into his heavenly and eternal joy. And so as we look to his striving, may that motivate us to, to respond to him, striving in love, Growing our relationship with him, not just by words, but actual efforts of our time and energy to grow in our knowledge, to grow in our devotion for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The door is open now. As you hear these words, let's strive to enter, do everything that we can, and let's not delay.
So first, we must strive in our salvation. Second, we must not delay in the offer of salvation. And lastly, we must not assume our salvation. We touched upon this in, in the previous verses, but it's, this is the final warning for us to not assume, to not make assumptions if we are saved or not. We won't strive in our salvation if we assume that there's nothing we should be doing. We won't be striving in our faith if we think we're already safe in a false sense of security. And the danger of people assuming our salvation is that hell will be waiting for them. This is what Jesus says, describing hell for us. Verse 28, In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here's this image of what people will be doing in hell. Sometimes people think the world thinks hell is a place where all the sinners go to party for the rest of their lives, indulge in their sins, indulge in their pleasures. But here, it's clear that that is not the case. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping because those who want to be saved, who want to enter into the internal pleasure and joy of God with Christ, they are now overwhelmed with sorrow and grief in hell. And they're also gnashing their teeth. If you've ever seen an angry animal ready to attack, that's what they're doing. They're gnashing their teeth, grinding their teeth in rage, in fury, in anger. And these people will not only, as they end up in hell, they will not be partying. They will be in sorrow. And they will be grinding their teeth in anger against God, shaking their fists in ultimate disappointment and frustration. Jesus, didn't we spend time with you? Didn't we hear your teaching? Open this door. In sorrow and in anger, they'll be condemned to hell in eternity. Specifically, this was a warning for the Jews during Jesus' day, for the entire nation of Israel during this time. Because if they assume that they will be saved just because they are forefathers of faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in Israel, just because they will be saved by faith, it does not automatically mean they will be saved because they're fellow Jews. Even in the teachings of the Jewish religious leaders after Jesus, they taught that all Israelites have a share in the world to come. They taught it as a guarantee because we are God's people. We are God's chosen nation. And they they were comforted by the false assurance that all Israelites have a share in the world to come. No matter what you do, if you're a Jew, you will be saved. For them, it was wrongly assuring. And so for us today, it remains to be wrongly assuring. If we claim to enter into heaven, enter into salvation by any other way other than faith, a striving faith in Jesus Christ, We cannot claim our good works. We cannot compare ourselves to those worse than us. There is no default of those who will be saved, especially for those who think they are, will be by default entering in. They will all the more be weeping, all the more gnashing their teeth, angry at God when that day comes, when they are rightly punished into hell for all eternity. Each person must strive in his or her own salvation. And this is going to be a lesson 
that I will teach my children and fellow parents teach our children that our children are not saved just because they grew up under Christian, in a Christian home, just because their parents are Christian. Our parents' striving doesn't count as our own personal striving to enter into the narrow door. Otherwise, we'll be making the false assumption like these Israelites were doing. So perhaps even as this person asks, will those be saved be few? Maybe, maybe he or she was thinking, I'm automatically in as a Jew. All the more, we must strive to enter into the narrow door. And for those that, the, those that do, there's a great promise that we end with here. Because there will be people from all over the world, every nation, tribe, and tongue. For those who enter this narrow door, it will lead to a broad and diverse celebration of people from all over the world, a banquet of the nations as they come to dine and recline at God's table in his kingdom. That's why Jesus says in verse 29, and people will come from the east and the west and from the north and the south Picking the furthest points of the compass, meaning all over the world, there will be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation who will climb at the table of the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some who are first will be last. Those who thought they were first were these Jews, who thought they could just get in by default. It was a guaranteed because they were a part of the nation of Israel. But Jesus says to them, some who are first will be last. And we covered that. But he also says, some who are last will be first. Those who will be the last to hear the message of salvation. For them still, if they choose to believe and strive in faith, in their salvation, even those who are the last, the furthest away from the people of God, of, the, of Israel, they will be first. They will enter in into his kingdom. It goes to show how powerful this gospel is that transforms us. Not only is it powerful to transform every aspect of our lives and every broken part of our hearts, but the gospel is also that much more powerful to transform nations of people. When we get to the book of Revelation, we know what the answer to this person's question is. Will those who are saved be few? We won't know the exact number, but we know it will not be few. There will be a multitude of people, a number of people who no one can count from every nation represented. As we all worship the Lamb who was slain in our place, who died for us, as we enter into his eternal and heavenly joy, in eternal worship, no more sin, no more suffering and pain, we'll be among the great and the many from all over the world, every nation, across all time, worshiping Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Do you want to be at this banquet of the nations? Do you want to be in the master's house? Then will you strive for the narrow door? Christ has opened the door to you by his blood. So let's not only look at the door, let's not only know about the door, Let's make every effort, agonizing, striving, repenting of our sins, trusting in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation.
So as we close, there's a few ways that we can apply God's word. I've mentioned them, but I'll summarize the ways that we can apply God's word in our lives this week. First, draw strength from the gospel to strive. I, I, I think this is a very natural conclusion, obvious conclusion that we can make. When, that, when Jesus calls us, he will equip us to that calling. And in the calling of our salvation, as he's saying strive to enter through the narrow door, he will provide us the sufficient strength that we need to strive and to strive faithfully. And that strength comes from the gospel. We don't strive in our own strength. We don't strive in our own good works to enter in. But, but by faith, we strive as we trust in the gospel. The gospel is that we are more sinful and flawed than we could ever imagine, but that we are more loved and valued than we could ever hope. And so it is a painful thing to be exposed by the gospel of our sins and our flaws, but it's a wonderful thing to be fully known, yet fully loved and valued by Jesus. In this gospel, we receive great joy and peace and renewed strength to continue to carry on striving in our salvation through any doubt, through any trial, through any suffering, through any unanswered questions that we may have. So may the gospel, knowing Jesus, be your strength. Trust in the work of the Holy Spirit who is empowering you, sanctifying you, and strive for that door. Striving like a runner in a marathon. Striving like a good soldier in a fight toward victory. Second, deepen your relationship with Jesus without delay. Without delay. Why put Jesus off to the side? Why put a hold on him while we rush to all the things that will just be a temporary effort, a temporary success? Knowing that our lives are short, do not wait until it's too late. Strive now to deepen with your relationship with Jesus today. And lastly, declare the glory and urgency of salvation to others. We started off looking at salvation and talking about it, how it's such a wonderful, glorious mystery. And how we can be more assured that we understand the salvation is by trying to share it with somebody else. Because in our efforts to share, we need to prepare. We need to prepare, what am I going to say? How am I going to approach my friend, my family member, following up from that last conversation that we had about the problems of this world? How can I share the gospel to him or to her? In our preparation, we can be more and more assured, okay, this is what I want to explain to them about salvation. This is what I want to explain and present and persuade the glory of salvation in Jesus to them. How it is a painful thing, but how it also is a wonderful, beautiful thing as Jesus saves us from all of our sins. And we can also exercise the ur urgency of understanding salvation and striving in our salvation as we explain it to others. As we explain about who God is, as we explain about our problem of sin, as we explain about Jesus, how he is our savior, how he has saved us, we will call people to repent and believe. So it will be a natural, automatic reminder for us as we share, as we evangelize, as we declare the glory of salvation to find ourselves, the important, to remember the urgency that I will be striving for that narrow door today 
and bringing many along with me. So as we live out God's word this week, remember again the one thing. Strive for the narrow door of salvation by faith in Jesus without delay and without assumption. If you're able, let's stand together as we close. I'll give us just a few personal moments to initially respond to God's word and the truths. And as we go through the hard sayings of Jesus, I'm, I, I, I have repeated that we must look carefully at the challenging words of Christ, the sobering words of Jesus about hell, about judgment, about our sin, about punishment, the right punishment for our sins so that we can fully appreciate and receive the good news of salvation for sinners like us. And so let's continue to do that. Let's continue to take a look at the hard words of of Jesus Christ so that we can all the more appreciate the wonder and the beauty of the gospel message for us. Let's find strength in the gospel to strive, to obey Jesus, to strive, to agonize in our salvation. And perhaps thinking about personally, how can I practically live this out? God, how how do you want me to practically live this out? Perhaps there are areas of your life where you find yourself striving very hard for the things of this world. And so God might be calling you, the Holy Spirit might be leading you to respond in repentance. We might have fallen into the deception that there's no no hurry. We can hold it off. We can delay. And in that we can, in that maybe perhaps the Holy Spirit is asking you to come to your senses and, and surrender and submit yourselves to Christ again. And all the more to, to rejoice and worship in the gospel that saves us. For God has done what we could not do. We could not work for our salvation. He has done it for us as in his offering, in his, as he offered eternal life and the forgiveness of sins by faith in Jesus. And so however the Holy Spirit leads you to respond to God's word, let's take a moment now to to pray, whether to pray personally and then afterwards we'll come back together and respond corporately. So let's pray together.